from the last seven days, and in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that the song When the Red Red Robin Goes Bob Bob Bobbing Along is actually about a thrush. (laughs) But thrush didn't rhyme with bobbing? (laughs) It could be rushing along, couldn't it? Should have been rushing along. It is an American song. The Red Red Robin goes bob bob bobbing along. I don't know if you guys know it. When the Red Red Robin goes bob bob bobbing along. It was written about the American Robin, uh, whose Latin name is Turdus Migratorius. (laughs) And as every childish person knows, the Latin word Turdus means thrush. Uh, And it's called a robin, that bird, because when the early migrants got to America, it has a red breast, and it reminded them of the European robin. Right. Um, So a lot of American songs, like Rockin' Robin, for instance, is the same. All these songs are actually about thrushes. So so technically, it should also be Batman and Thrush. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's another story of Batman's medical problems. (laughs) That is actually true, because Robin was... In some versions of the early Batman and Robin comics, um, he is named Robin because he was born on the first day of spring. Mm. And the American Mm. Robin is associated with spring. So these songs, the Red Red Robin, these are springtime songs, they're not Christmas songs. Yeah, okay, cool. Wow. It's better looking than a thrush, than our thrush, isn't it? I mean, the red breast does make a big difference. Yeah, it's a nice bird, nice looking bird. It's like, it looks like, you know, if you think about your classic European Robin, it's quite fat and round and it's got a red breast. Um, the American one is a bit more proud-looking. It's a bit bigger. It's got a slightly longer neck, but it still has the red colouring. Yeah, yeah. And it's the most abundant bird in North America, apparently. Is it? One really? of those. Yeah, it's all over the bloody place. Although they're much shyer than our robins. The robin that we know is the European robin, mm. but in Britain, it's way more cocky and confident than all over the rest of Europe. Really? Yeah. And this is just because we actually like robins so much. So in Europe, it's much more common to hunt robins and or has been historically and they're not kind of treasured as much as this kind of Christmas symbol so they're way shyer and similarly in America these guys they hide in the woods whereas our robins you know they chase you around the garden when you're digging out worms (laughs) yeah of course Do do you know why they do that to get the worms you're digging out well yes but it's because basically they think you're a pig so, what? It's not reciprocated. Robins basically evolved to follow uh, wild boar around forests. Um, what because they they, they truffle up food, don't they? They, they dig yeah. for their food. And they will overturn a lot of earth and they'll reveal lots of earthworms. So, you know, it thinks you're a pig and wow. a boar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got to say, I'm offended. 
bastard. Is it really bad at telling the difference between species, then? I'm exaggerating a little for comic <laughs> effect. I, I, I don't know about its eyesight. It has got good eyesight, hasn't it? Or sort of something special about its eyes so it can navigate? Uh, uh, Magnetite in there, perhaps, I reckon. Yeah. Because they, yes. they, they, I think that's probably the American ones, because they migrate quite a lot, uh, don't they, the American ones? Okay. They do. Yeah. They're very, you almost never see them here, but did you read about the... I think one of the last times that American Robin was seen in the UK was in 2004 and it was one of these uh, it was blown over the Atlantic so it got lost on a migration <laughs> that's a hell of a puff isn't it to get you over the Atlantic <laughs> it was a gusty day and it uh, so it turned up in Grimsby and there was huge excitement <laughs> oh um, god I mean your day's bad enough isn't it getting blown over you end up in Grimsby it's <laughs> a bad hangover what did I do last night um, and the twitchers as they do got very excited and all communicated with each other to say come on, come on, see this American Robin. It's so rare to see them here. And they all arrived just in time to see it get eaten by a sparrowhawk. Oh, oh, yeah. poor thing. I love that, I didn't know it was called Turd Migratus. Turdus, yeah. Not Turd Migratus. Turdus Migratus. That still works nicely. It's a very, very lazy Harry Potter spell, basically. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a bit constipated, is that what you do? (laughs) (laughs) If you hear that in the stall, yeah, next to you. (laughs) Turdus Migratus! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Robbins. I would have thought Expellianus would have been the better Okay, so on the word turdus, the word sturdy, that supposedly comes from the Latin for thrush. That's supposed to to come from turdus as well. Uh, And the idea was, if a thrush would eat lots of berries, it might get drunk, and it would kind of sway around and sway around. And so turdy meant swaying, and then sturdy came from non-drunk thrushes. Yeah, that's according to the Oxford English Dictionary, who I must say I don't believe. But (laughs) (laughs) there is a French saying which is as drunk as a thrush, which gives a little bit of credence to it. So they do. They are the most prone to get drunk on fermented berries. I think, aren't they, the American robbies? Robbies? That's what I call them. We're close. Um, And. It happens, so it tends to happen in spring, uh, but it can actually happen in autumn. So basically it'll happen when the berries have frozen and so when, when frost hits them, then they'll start converting their starch to sugars. Then I think when they thaw, then that starts fermenting and then they get eaten and then they do funny things like crash into each other or fall off branches. Mm. But in, uh, in Minnesota in October, a couple of years ago, there was an early frost that caused a big outbreak of this and the police were called so many times <laughs> that they actually had to report, like put in a report out saying there's no need to report drunk robins to the police they will sober up within a short period of time and get on with their lives I read a really lovely story in India there was a species a type of robin um, that had made its way into the electrical box of a very tiny town so there's about 150 people that live in this town and this box would be turned on every night at 6pm by one guy and so he noticed that a robin this species of robin had laid eggs and was using this electrical circuit board as its nest. 
So he wrote on a WhatsApp group to all of the people in the village saying, is it cool if we don't turn on the streetlights at nighttime <laughs> until they've hatched and the birds have flown away? Wow. And the whole village all agreed. And so for over 35 days, they had no lights at night just to make sure that these little birds were born properly and then they flew away and then he started turning wow. them on again. That is and a nice story. Did they have lots of traffic incidents? And there was, yeah, 90 fatalities. fatalities so yeah. To... <laughs> Um, robins live really short lives most of the time, so they live for about 13 months, a very, very high wow. mortality rate in their first year. Oh. But if they're through that, they stand a very good chance at surviving for a lot longer. So oh. the oldest ever robin known was recorded uh, as being... It was ringed, you know, with a ring around its uh, foot or whatever. Uh, it was 19 years and four months. Oh, my God! Imagine if there were people just walking around who were 1,000 years old and they mm. just got lucky. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it's like for robins. <laughs> when he said ringed, I thought he meant we cut it in half every year and count the rings. <laughs> it was amazingly hardy, yeah. 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 This, this fact is about the fact that a, um, a robin is actually a thrush, a, a misnamed yeah. bird, and it's a Christmas bird that we're talking about. And so I started looking into other Christmas birds, and it turns out a lot of them are misnamed as well. So... Uh, one of the great songs that we have, um, the first day of Christmas, my true. We have a bunch of birds in that song, don't we? Right? Yeah. So, okay, turtle doves. Turtle doves are given in the thing. So, we think that they're called turtle doves because they make a tur tur sound. So, that's the turtle. So, as the article points out, and this is according to a biologist called Pamela Ramusson, no relation to turtles. So, they're just. They're... <laughs> what? This is your fact that yep. doves are not related to turtles? Turtles. Zero relation to turtles. Um, <laughs> myth busted. Myth busted. <laughs> French hens. There's three French hens in it. Oh, my God. They're probably from France, but they're oh. not actually a species called French hen. Okay. That doesn't exist. So myth busted. Second one down. <laughs> calling birds. That sounds interesting. Doesn't exist. We don't have calling birds. What they're probably talking about is for collie birds, and we just misunderstood that. We've called them calling birds. Andy? <laughs> And a call, is a, call, a, collie bird, a collie bird is like a blackbird, right? Is it yeah. an old word for black? Yeah, is that right? exactly. Cold colored, oh. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Partridge in a pear tree. They're ground birds. They're never seen in trees. <laughs> that is good, actually. You say the best of last. Myth busted. You do, you do see the odd partridge in a tree, to be fair. They they, don't, but they don't nest in trees. Are they drunk? Uh, only when they're pissed. They're like the opposite of all other birds. They fall up trees they, when they're, they're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> The song When the Red Red Robin Goes Bob 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 Bobbing Along. Yeah. Really quickly on that. It was uh, written in 1926 or 1925. By 1926, it was a hit for Whispering Jack Smith, Cliff Edwards, Paul Whiteman, the Ipanama Troubadours, and Al Jolson. In the same year, it was a hit for all those people. Wow. And it's not like one of those, you know, when you get a rap song and you've got 20 different rappers on it. They were all did their own version of That's it. That's amazing. What was the first one called? It was Whispering Jack Smith. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> when the red, red rock goes <laughs> It was most famous um, by vaudeville star Lillian Roth. Uh, she's the most famous one who sang it. Okay. Uh, and she, she sang it when she was really young, when she was about 14 or 15. And then later, she became not famous anymore. And then later on, she went on This Is Your Life. And she kind of was really honest about her alcoholism. And she got more than 40,000 letters when she went on This Is Your Life. She wrote an autobiography, and then it got turned into a movie starring Susan Hayward, and that was nominated for an Academy Award. 
because so, her life was so amazing. Uh, and then when she kind of went on This Is Your Life, she became famous again and she had a huge sort of revival. She went on Broadway and did her own song. And the highlights of her act was singing when the Red Red Robin came bob, bob, bobbing along. But she sang it in the style of the person who played her in the movie doing an impression of her. Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's but, Anna, you probably know the song most because I know you go to Charlton Athletic every now and then and that's what they sing. Of, is that what they're trying to sing? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right. Really, are they doing it in the style of this woman doing it in the style of her own dog <laughs> who's doing it in the style of some other bird? Wow. Did yeah. you guys read that there's a type of thrush that gets its um, prey to come to the top of the surface by farting on the ground? <laughs> What, and it lures worms towards it? Yeah, so it just that. gets down and it just starts farting. And what and then, do the worms think? I think you know thing? that thing where it's kind of like it feels like it's rain and it's coming up and they, they hear vibrations and they come up? It turns out, anyway, it's not true. Um, <laughs> Don't come yeah. do the others. Myth busted. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andy. It is time for fact number two, and that is Andy. My fact is that nobody knows where Caravaggio's most Christmassy painting is, but the main theory is that it was eaten by pigs in the 1970s. <laughs> this is a painting. So Caravaggio's uh, extremely famous uh, 16th century artist, 16th, early 17th, and uh, he painted a painting called The, the Nativity with St. Francis and St. Lawrence, and uh, it was stolen. It was in a church in uh, Palermo in Italy, and it had been there for nearly 400 years. It was incredibly well-established there. And in 1969, it was nicked by persons unknown. It's worth, obviously, millions and millions. There are not that many Caravaggios. And uh, no one knows where it is to this day. It was cut from its frame. Right. And the, the, there are rumours about where it is. So some people say it's in Switzerland. Some people say there's no way it ever left Italy. There was no international gossip about where it might have ended up. But one mafia informer claimed that it had been damaged in an earthquake and then just left alone for a bit and then gnawed on by rats and pigs until it was completely worthless and then wow. they burned it. Wow. Weird. We don't know, but yeah. It seems very odd, this habit that all these mafia members, it's the Cosa Nostra, isn't it, uh, members have of admitting to stealing the painting and then telling the story of the painting and you never know if they're telling the truth. Yeah. And I think, so these are like pentitos who uh, go to the police and say, oh, I've been in the mafia, I'm really sorry about it and I'll tell you where this nativity painting is. And I think the latest person is Gaetano Grado who said he helped to steal the painting and then it somehow got into the hands of a mafia boss who took it right. to a Swiss art dealer. And the de I just like the scene, the dealer wept when he saw it because it's such a beautiful, unbelievable painting. It's a Caravaggio. So the dealer burst into tears, sobbed, and then immediately said, we need to cut this into pieces so we can sell them discreetly. Otherwise, people will know what it is. Right. Just, wow. So what do you do? Do you buy all the pieces and put them together like a jigsaw? Or yeah, it's not a, <laughs> I didn't realise how fucking dangerous pigs are. <laughs> Top tip, don't die next to a pig. <laughs> it will eat you. Yeah, but once you're dead, it doesn't really matter, does it? I know, it? but like, if you're even in the process of dying and you happen to fall next to a pig, you're a goner. Yep. That's yeah. like... And the robin will watch from the side and laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, to him, it's like a pig's eating a pig. Oh, it's yeah. like cannibalism. The cannibalism yeah. it'll look like. No, seriously, the last few years, just the headlines. Uh, 2020, missing Polish farmer eaten by his own pigs, officials say. 2019, woman eaten by her pig, Ash... Ash 
after she collapses while feeding. Basically, if you fall near a pig and you're asleep, it will it eat you. It is quite famous, that, I think. Like, it's crazy. Is it in, um, is is it it in Hannibal? Hannibal book? Yeah, yeah, yeah you've got to watch Hannibal. It's great. Um, most things of that scene where you get oh, eaten right. by pigs. It's a documentary about how it's very easy to get eaten by pigs if you're not <laughs> careful. It's funny, because pigs do have a reputation for being very intelligent and quite friendly. They do. Yeah. They do, don't they? Like Babe. Yeah. 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 Like Babe. Yeah. Babe. Have you got watch Babe 3? Yeah. <laughs> babe 3, where Babe eats the farmer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that whole dope pig. Um. <laughs> do you guys know Pig Casso? <laughs> no. no. Just speaking of art and pigs, he's the first non-human to hold his own exhibition. Art exhibition. Really? Yeah. Um, born in 2016. I mean, when we say hold his own art exhibition, did he book the venue? Did yes. Did he do the catering? God, imagine the catering, actually. <laughs> he did all the admin. He finds it difficult to hold the phone, but he's overcome it. <laughs> Um, no, he was born in 2016. He was one of these people who was rescued and taken to a sanctuary that was set up by this woman called Joanne Lefson in South Africa. And she said the reason that he became a famous painter, as he is now, <laughs> is that she put him in a pen with loads and loads of stuff and he ate or destroyed everything in the stool except the paintbrushes. And so she deduced from that that he must love art. <laughs> <laughs> He's since become a painter. He designed Swatch's 2019 Swatch design, which is called Flying Pig, and it's lots of purple and wow. pink swirls. Was it not? Did they not find like a work of art, and then maybe the shoes of an artist that he just eats, and the rest of the artist? <laughs> <laughs> it could be that. Does he draw with a pig pen? Don't boo that. What's he? It's Christmas. It's Christmas. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've ruined Christmas. <laughs> Should we talk about Caravaggio? I think we better. <laughs> Caravaggio. He what was a, a bit of a bit of a badden, wasn't he? He was a, he was a bit boy. of a badden. In 1604, the year, variously, he was arrested for assaulting a waiter who had served him with a plate of artichokes dressed in butter rather than oil, uh, for throwing stones in the street next to a perfume maker and some prostitutes. Uh, and for telling a policeman who was attempting to release him quietly, even though he was carrying a sword, which he wasn't supposed to, you can stick it up your ass. <laughs> right. You've given a very one-sided story there. I'm quite a fan of Carrie Vajo, and the, and the artichoke story, for example, was sort of justifiable. It was a test. So it was... He ordered eight artichokes for lunch, and he ordered four to be fried in oil and four to be fried in butter... The artichokes arrived, and then he asked the waiter, well, which of the four fried in oil? And the waiter couldn't tell. And then he picked up his sword, yes. and attacked the waiter, and then got a plate and smashed him in the There's face There's no with excuse it. for bad service, James. Okay? <laughs> Customer's always right. Speaking of bad service, he killed a man after a game of tennis, didn't he? Mm. Did Greatly. he? Yeah, that's one of the most famous things about him. So... Um, he had to leave Rome when he killed his opponent in a game of tennis. Now, we think possibly it wasn't because of the tennis that yeah. he did this murder. Uh, and we think possibly he might not have been deliberately trying to kill the man. He might have only been trying to cut off his testicles. Right. <laughs> Your Honour, my client was merely trying to cut off this man's testicles with his sword. New balls, please. <laughs> Very strong. Wow. 
Yeah, it's, it's very unclear because they were, they were having an argument about a woman who was maybe one of Caravaggio's models, but was also a prostitute, yes. but was also working for the opponent. This man, Tom, Tomasini, was it? Yeah, so Tomasini was the pimp of this woman. Yes. Um, but also, when you're an artist, it was illegal for someone to sit for you, especially naked, unless they were a prostitute, unless you were paying them. Oh. And so basically, most of the artists around that time were employing prostitutes to, or sex workers, I should say to sit for them uh, and so there was obviously something happening here we weren't quite sure uh, the woman was called Felid Melandroni uh, and there's not much else about her she was once called a scandalous courtesan uh, by the vicariate of Rome no mm. less um, for refusing the sacrament uh, and later that year, she was arrested for possessing a weapon. So she was a bit of a bad one as well. If that's the most scandalous thing you're doing as a prostitute, refusing the sacrament, then I think you've got to up your game. It's <laughs> he was a very, very um, naughty boy, Caravaggio. No, he was. No, we shouldn't be glamorising it, because he was, he was a wrong one. He was a rogue. Um, there was a film. There's a film made about his life in 1986 uh, in which he's... Uh, Sean Bean is one of Sean Bean's very earliest films. He plays the guy Caravaggio had a duel with, oh, yeah. Ranuccio Tomassoni. And that is also notable because it's the first time that Sean Bean died on screen. Oh, no way! <laughs> yes! Really? And Sean Bean has had a lot of screen deaths, if you don't know. Sean Bean has been impaled on an anchor. He's been stabbed. He's fallen off an antenna. He's been buried alive and then died. He's been hanged. He's been shot through the neck with a grappling hook and then hanged. He's been torn into quarters by horses, decapitated, and shot ten times. Well, Wait. he's hard. He's a hard man. And he's he came back from yeah. all those things. He's still swinging. But he's not the actor who's died most in films. This is diversion now, but... Uh-huh. Uh, Danny... Is it Trejo? Trejo? Oh, yeah. um, um, machete. And... Machete, yeah. yeah. He's, in a lot... he's died 65 times in different films. Has he? Wow. Yeah. He has been killed by topless prostitutes in two separate films. <laughs> wow. wow. That's typecasting starting to <laughs> exert its baleful influence, I'm afraid. You know, he invented really incredible lighting for paintings mm. and two people have been massively influenced by it. David Hockney talks about it saying he basically invented Hollywood lighting. It was just it was, so, it was in one direction and he believes that it he was used... It was in one direction? Yeah, he was multi-talented. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was, a, he was a very influential character. He um, supposedly the, he would use mirrors to sort of bend light towards and uh, Martin Scorsese when he would see his paintings huh. was a, a lot of Scorsese's movies he says were influenced by the lighting that he saw in Caravaggio's paintings and wow. is convinced that he was, if he was in modern times he would have been one of our great directors purely for that, purely for his understanding of light and composure. Yeah. But it was particularly dark. I've always thought they're too dark. It always looks like it's not very well lit in galleries, I think. I agree. It's basically because it's all kind of black except one shaft of light. Yeah, it's like Blade um, Runner. Yeah, but he did get in trouble once with his landlord. Uh, in fact, he was evicted because he cut... He was renting a room and he cut a hole in the ceiling to get that single shaft of light. Cool. And a lot of landlords hate that. <laughs> Was it in the ceiling so rain could get in? In the roof, think. yes. Yeah, yeah, ah. I suppose that's going to ruin the painting, isn't it? it didn't well, also, he was in a ground floor flat, so he had to do every single <laughs> Can we move on to the next fact? Yes, please. <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that Merry Christmas Park in Miami isn't named after the holiday, but after a girl named Mary, who was the daughter of the city's former mayor, Randy Christmas. <laughs> I love that song. 
<laughs> Have yourself a randy little Christmas. <laughs> we wish you a randy Christmas. Yeah. So Randy Christmas was the mayor of Miami from 1955 to 1957. And he had a little daughter who he named Mary, spelled M-E-R-R-I-E. And Mary, unfortunately, was quite sick when she was born. She was born with only one kidney, which she was basically correctly diagnosed with when she was about three years old. And they thought that she wasn't going to make it, unfortunately. And um, one of the things that Miami wanted to do to sort of talk about, you know, what an amazing and, and brave girl she was going through, what she was going through, is to name this park after her. So it's a very tiny little park. And um, she was just, she was an amazing person. She continued, she had 12 operations. They thought she was only going to live for a few months, but she had survived 12 more years. She used to go to the park once a year. She loved visiting it. She would sometimes go to it during Christmas as well to visit Merry Christmas Park, her park, she used to say. Um, she sadly passed away, but she did get to experience this park for a long time. Really yeah. cool. And uh, how many disappointed people would show up at the park every day throughout December going, where the, where the hell's Santa Claus? Why is there a 12-year-old girl here instead? It's good to look at the story that way as well. <laughs> <laughs> She's letting a lot of people down. Yeah. Is this your fault, you little dick? What is this? <laughs> get out your wheelchair and look me in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Anna. Uh, so the Christmas family, they said it took them three children for them to get up the nerve to call one of them Merry. Oh, really? Um, although Merry Christmas did have his sister called Holly, uh, wow. who actually is still around. She was posting on the internet in June this year, so she's oh, definitely still wow. alive. Um, some of the other children in the school would tease Merry Christmas and call her Happy New Year. <laughs> uh, but when she died, she did die very young, but um, she was so popular that they had to put on buses to get people to the funeral. Wow. It was an absolutely massive oh, funeral. Wow. Yeah. And Randy Christmas's mother was called Leonora Pauline Pope Christmas. Her surname wow. was Pope, so Pope married Christmas and had Randy. <laughs> A lot of Seems like it's kind of degrading the family names there, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and thank God it wasn't double barreled because he could have been Randy Pope Christmas <laughs> as the mayor of Miami. Gosh. Uh, there was a competition to find the most Christmassy name in the UK in 2017, and it was held by the British Tr Christmas Tree Growers Association. And um, there were various great entries. The eventual winner was a woman called Donna Rudolph. Uh, which is good, because that's, that's, that's two of the reindeer, which is very impressive. Mm -hmm. um, but other winners included people like Val Spruce, Holly Berry, which I think is really good, um, Chris Tingley. But this is the thing. The prize was a Christmas tree, right? A real Christmas tree, not an artificial one. And in her winning speech, Donna Rudolph said she was really happy to win because she'd never had in her whole life a real Christmas tree and she would be having a real one from now on. This is, let's not forget, promoted by the British Christmas Tree Growers Association, oh, yeah. who have, I think may have fed her some copy in what she was going to say. And it was, the whole thing was to promote real trees. But I looked into this a bit further, guys. Donna Rudolph lived in uh, Wisbeach, right? Which was fewer than 10 miles from the place which actually had the farm where she collected her tr Christmas tree farm. <gasps> so I'm well, not... Wait a minute, how old was she? 
I think in her 30s. So it's not going to be 30 years ago they decided to scab that they were going to name her a weird Christmas <laughs> I'm name. Not, I'm not <laughs> suggesting her parents named her to get her a free tree in 30 years. <laughs> I'm saying the Christmas tree growers may have picked her because they wanted someone to turn up in person and collect their tree from the farm. It's not the biggest thing ever. It doesn't, it's not the biggest thing to bust it's ever. It's not Dan Brown, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I think Chris Tingley might have been a bit wrong. Yeah, I think Holly <laughs> Berry. I think Holly Berry. Is really good, isn't that's it? That's great. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's yeah. my niche and yeah. legally quite actionable. That's your, that's your panorama documentary style expose there. I looked the other way. I didn't look. At, I looked at people who were called Randy because I thought that's a fun first name if you pair it up with a surname. Sure. So Wikipedia has just a really big list of different people called Randy. So there's a Randy Baker. There's a Randy Farmer. There's a Randy Gardner. There's Randy Love. There's Randy Rogers. Um, Randy Messenger, which sounds like someone who would slip into your DMs. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> and in my favourite one of all, Randy Murray. Oh! <laughs> Do you know anything about Randy Murray? He's a Canadian guitarist. He's amazing. He's in, he used to be in a band with a guy called Ronald McDonald. Um, no. That's as far as I got into his... Wow. Yeah. Let's get him on. Adequate replacement, do we think? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to tweet one letter on the posters. Yeah. There was a guy called Alistair Christmas who was born on Christmas Day, which is very exciting. He was interviewed by the Daily Mirror, and he said that on at least one occasion in his life, someone had refused to hand over a parcel that was for him because they just couldn't possibly believe that his name was Alistair Christmas. <laughs> which I have to say is quite... Not especially unbelievable, but he said of his name, when people find out he's called Alistair Christmas, people just see you and look at you as if you were magic. You can see it in their eyes. To them, it is like they have just met Santa. <laughs> can I say, the delivery guy, right, he turns up with a parcel for Mr. A Christmas, yeah. and then the guy comes out and says, I'm Mr. A Christmas, and he says, I don't believe you. Yeah. What was he expecting the person like, to say? Who's this box for, then? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Does he know. just take it home? I don't know. There's the surname Christmas, quite common in Essex and Sussex. Uh, and the theory is that it was probably, you know, people got their surnames in the olden days. It was probably someone who was born on Christmas Day. That's what we think. Um, however, there is a guy called Henry Christmas, who is a retired engineer who has spent decades delving into the history of the name. And he said in 2005 that the Christmas Day Christmas connection is too easy. <laughs> but I rather think that he spent decades doing it and realised that it's actually the obvious thing that everyone thinks. <laughs> yeah. He's got to justify a lifetime yeah. wasted. Yeah. Sorry, Henry. Um, there's a, do you guys know about Merry Christmas Claus and Santa Claus, the Nebraska couple? No. Who, no. Uh, these, are, these are two people who legally changed their names in 2017. They're so sweet. So they, they won't give their real names to journalists who interview them. So they are now, the wife is Merry Christmas Claus, the husband is Santa Claus. And they go and they dress up, they wear their dress reds at Christmas, which is the term for the Santa outfits. And for the rest of the year, Santa's a taxi driver. And yeah, they just decided they loved being in the mall so much, having kids swarming around them, sitting on their laps and everything, that they've, they've changed their names. And it's so sweet. They met in December 2009, and she, Merry Christmas Claus, said uh, she knew he was the one when he offered to make me dinner. There aren't many men willing to cook a woman dinner. I knew I'd found a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> Imply a low bar. <laughs> 
<laughs> she then said, but the part gets even lower. She said, what I love about Santa, my husband, is that he's so great at the kid-friendly jokes at Christmas. So, that's, can't, can't, could someone explain this to me? She says, when the kids ask for iPods, he says... Why an iPod? Wouldn't you rather have a three-pod? There's three Ps in a pod, but there's only one I in an iPod. The parents roar with laughter over that. <laughs> does that make sense? What does that mean? <laughs> I'm not, look, I, I made a pig pen joke earlier. I'm not going to slag off this guy. I think he's doing his best. <laughs> he's doing his best. <laughs> Wow. We're ignoring one very famous uh, Christmas. It was a fictional Christmas. Uh, Christmas Jones, char- Bond character. Yes. Oh, who's uh, that? The Pierce, Pierce Brosnan flick, wasn't it? Yeah, that was one of the Pierce Brosnan ones. This is Denise Richards, uh, yeah. who's a nuclear physicist character. And it's basically so there are a load of really, really sort of cheap, tacky gags. You know, James Bond says, oh, I thought Christmas only came once a year. So all of this really, like, oh, you clever. know. It's, it's, it's aged poorly, and it was quite recent. Um, but... <laughs> So just off the back of this, and this is a tangent, I apologise, I thought I'd try and find uh, the, like, the, what, the worst uh, role Denise Richards has ever had to play, and okay. I think I found it. Her <laughs> first starring role was in a film called Tammy and the T-Rex, okay? Which is a, a comedy about a girl whose boyfriend, her, his brain is put into a T-Rex, right? Yeah, I know. The body I've of a T-Rex. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a bit I've niche and a bit What cold, do you mean it's put into a T-Rex? Like, his consciousness goes into the T-Rex. What T-Rex? There is a T-Rex in the film, okay? Why? Well, I'm getting to that, I'm getting to that. A mad scientist I, I has created yeah. a T-Rex, okay? So this is the thing. I was reading about this film on IMDb. <laughs> I cannot believe it. Basically, listen to this. The writer-slash-director, Stuart Raffle, has said in an interview the idea for the film only happened because they had access to a full-size T-Rex animatronic. Someone phoned him up and said, hey, we have this T-Rex for a month, what should we do? Should we make a film? He said, I'll start writing immediately. The whole reason for the film is because they had access to this thing for a month. He was constantly writing scenes and then saying to his colleagues and the cast and crew, do you have any better ideas for the next scene? All the locations were within 25 minutes of his house. It's incredible. Sounds amazing. It's such a good film. Wow. Anyway. Yeah. Dan will be watching that when he gets home tonight. That's what's so sad about this. Anyway, tangent over. Sorry. Hey, listen, I need to move us on to our final fact of the show. It is time for our final fact, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that the edible advent calendar came before the printed picture advent calendar. This is um, this is this is my interpretation of what the first advent calendar was, which was uh, Gerhard Lang, who was the first person to print and sell advent calendars. He did it in. In 1908, and he got his inspiration from his mum, who, when he was young, she had like a little kind of cardboard box thing to which she fixed a baked meringue pastry for each day of Advent, and she allowed him to eat one per day. Oh, oh. Yes. it's so charming. Yeah. yeah, in fact, it was a it's something called uh, Wiebele, uh, which I think is a, a specific German dish. It's a mm. sweet-like meringue which has a figure of eight shape. Yeah, he was inspired by that, and That's he's the cool. father of the advent calendar. And then he, um, his later advent calendars were called Munich calendars, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, and then something in the 30s happened, and he just wasn't very popular anymore outside of Germany. Yeah. It's really tragic. Cardboard was rationed in the 30s, and they shut his company down. The, the German government in the 30s. The Nazi government shut... Sorry. No, 
sort of, you know, uh, concealing that. But they, the Nazis made their own advent calendars as well. Yeah, yeah. well, there was one company, wasn't there, that they accepted that they could make them, and they yeah. were the accepted company. They're and basically, yeah. yeah, if you got an advent calendar in Nazi Germany, it was just... Nazi symbolism. Yeah, it was just another swastika, basically, right? It, it was or like a, a tank. No, no, no. There were, there were tanks. There were there was Wotan, who was a Nordic god. Um, the, it didn't mention Jesus at all. And there was advice on what how to keep your children entertained over Christmas. Swastika biscuits for the SS. Put a swastika at the top of the tree. Yeah, they're actually looking at it now. There are a lot of swastikas involved. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. they kind of. I think the Nazis tried to do away with. Oh, they kept Christmas, but they made it like a celebration of. Nazism, didn't yeah, they? Because yeah, yeah. obviously Jesus was Jewish and, and that didn't fit in with their yeah. ideas. Yeah. But they, yeah, they had a full... They, they couldn't be asked to come up with their own pictures or stories. They, so they printed in 1943 a full calendar, a full colour calendar, where I think each... I think this is around Christmas and each image was like a Christmassy type image, but with a different story attached. So there was Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in a manger with, I think, the three kings going up to them. And it had text underneath explaining that's just a story about a woodcutter, a soldier and a king who get lost in the woods and encounter a woman with a baby. Wow. <laughs> Come on, guys. Bit be a bit imaginative. And so before this guy, um, like, was it called Gerhard Lang? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, we think there were some kind of advent calendars, but they weren't mass-produced. They weren't a proper thing. They were just a thing that people did in villages and towns and stuff, right? So in the 19th century, before that, so in the early 19th century, you would have a load of chalk marks on the road, and every day you would rub one off. And... <laughs> totally disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Timmy, what have you been doing out there? <laughs> Sorry, okay, Come never mind. Too uh, crude, too crude. Yeah. There was another one. There's um, a there's a book by Elise Averdeke, um called Roland und Elizabeth, which came out in 1851. And in that, they say that every evening a new picture is added to the wallpaper. This is before Christmas, and the children know that when all 24 pictures are hanging on the wallpaper, then Christmas is here. Right. So that was a thing in this Ooh. book from 1850s. And uh, quite like um, Elise Everdike, she basically was a deaconess and she started this group of women who would organise, like, all the charity and stuff in the area. She was really awesome. And she had a motto, which was, every person, whether man or woman, should learn as much and for as long as he or she can. One can never learn too much. Okay. I think it's our kind of thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. What's yeah. her name again? Um, she's called Elise Everdyke. Elise Everdyke. I don't know if it's because we're doing a Christmas show, but every time you say that, in my head I'm going, Elise Everdyke, <laughs> Elise Everdyke, which is the Spanish Christmas. Elise Okay. Oh, okay. Very good. Just scans in my head oh, every time. Uh, yeah, I've had candidates. I've gone it's, uh, really stratospheric in the last few years, I think. There have been all, I mean, extreme novelty ones. So this year, you can get a Sriracha advent calendar, which is marketed as the 12 days of Sriracha. But then, surely, everything is just the same flavour of Sriracha every time, though. James, I'm here to tell you, you're wrong, 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 because it has 12 200-millilitre bottles of Sriracha, which apparently you're getting through one of these things a day. Really? Original, mayo, yellow chilli, green chilli, wasabi, blackout, super hot, extra garlic, smoky, black pepper, tikka and yuzu Sriracha's are available. And if you drink one of those every day, you will die. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow. Sorry, wow. I just wanted to counteract the product placement we were doing there. <laughs> okay, well, are you hoping that you might get some free sriracha? I actually don't really, uh, don't especially like sriracha. I don't know why I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to tell you about the 2017 Porsche advent calendar. Oh. Um, that cost $1 million each. Wow. Uh, there was only one allowed on each continent on Earth. <laughs> uh, but it was 1.75 metres in height. It was made from aluminium. Um, it contained a, um, a gold watch designed okay. by Porsche. It supposedly contained a kitchen. But it's definitely not big enough, so maybe a voucher for a kitchen. Okay. I'm not really sure. Mm. Uh, it had a, a voucher possibly as well for a yacht in there. Um, also, some sunglasses made from gold and some cufflinks. Hang on, who are you handing this yacht voucher to? <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of just like being at Tesco. Do you have any vouchers to <laughs> redeem against your transaction today? Yes, I've got this for one yacht, please. <laughs> That's so funny. I know, that's <laughs> And you get all that stuff. But how, how big is it, did you say? It was 1.75 metres. Like at least two of the seven things you named were vouchers, and one was a wristwatch. So, yeah, where's the, where's the size coming in here? Um, the sunglasses, the cufflinks? No. Yeah, yeah. No. Was there a Porsche? Did you get a Porsche? It didn't seem that way from what I saw. That's a bit fucking disappointing. Like, you <laughs> you're getting a fucking yacht. You paid a million pounds for this, and you're not getting the thing that it's named after? Do you know how much yachts cost? Yachts cost a lot more than a million pounds. Yeah, but when do you use a you. yacht? When do you use a yacht? You use cars every day. A yacht? You can't drive your kid to school in a yacht. Exactly. It depends where you live. If you live on an archipelago, you absolutely can drive your kid to school in a yacht. I've been to I've been to some floating islands where people live, and the school is a floating island, and they de- they didn't use a yacht. I must admit. Well, they still. use more of a wicker boat. <laughs> well, imagine how impressive a yacht would look next to that. Yeah. Anyway, if Porsche wants to send me one of those, then I will accept it. <laughs> Um, it's estimated that there are twice as many advent calendars for pets than there are with pictures of Jesus on them. God, <laughs> really? No. Well, this is an estimate that has been made by uh, a man who is the founder of one of Britain's explicitly Christian advent calendars. Um, he reckons there are 400,000 Jesus ones sold each year and over a million pet advent calendars. Oh, I did read a story about a lady who bought her daughter a Garfield advent calendar and 11 days in after she was complaining every day that the chocolate tasted a bit funky, uh, <laughs> realised that it was an advent calendar for her cat. <laughs> for 11 days, her child was like... <laughs> and she even looked at it, I think, and was like, oh, it's green, it must be mint-flavoured. Okay, that is it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Anna. You can email podcast.qi.com. Uh, or you can reach us on our group account, which is at No Such Thing. Or you can find us on the website, no such thing as a fish.com. All of our previous episodes are there, so do check them out. Also, in January, we are going to be doing the final leg of our nerd immunity tour do come and see us live it's going to be awesome shows uh, there's eight more of them to go so do come along and um before we wrap up tonight just to let you know here birmingham uh it's quite a sad night for us because the effectively fifth 
fish member of our tour is leaving us. This is his final show tonight. This is Ash Gardner. Ash, you will know in the background of No Such Thing as a Fish. He is the singer and writer of our theme tune, which is called Wasps. Uh, when you hear that, go check it out on Spotify. There's a there's a full album by Emperor Yes, and that's where we got our theme tune from. When we started as a podcast, he was the person who gave us the gear in order to record it and taught us how to press play and how to do it all. <laughs> Genuinely, we used his stuff. When we first decided to do a live show, he was the guy who came and mic'd up the whole room and worked out how we could do it so that could get out there. He's fed us facts the whole way through. He's been on every single tour with us. He's been the person that's basically been our emotional crutch for the tour, always making us happy. Just such an awesome guy. This is his last night. So we're going to close the show tonight by having him come on stage and sing the theme tune for you as we end the night. Yeah. We're going to miss him so much. He's really the beating heart of our tour. It's going to be horrible to do it without him. Um, but fuck him. He's moving to Australia, so tough luck. Uh, anyway, that is it. That is all of our facts. We'll be back again next week. We'll see you. Thank you so much, Birmingham. That was awesome. We'll catch you again soon.